The thrill and excitement of March Mania is here, and DraftKings Sportsbook, one of America's top-rated sportsbook apps, is giving new customers a shot to turn 5 bucks into $150 instantly in bonus bets with any college basketball bet. You can find all the lines and available odds, of course, at the DraftKings Sportsbook app. North Carolina listeners, don't forget, DraftKings Sportsbook is now live in your state. Download the DraftKings Sportsbook app and use code SBNFL. New customers can bet 5 bucks to get $150 instantly in bonus bonus bets only at DraftKings Sportsbook with code SBNFL. The crown is yours. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or in West Virginia, visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 8778-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly on behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort 21 plus age varies by jurisdiction void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash bball for eligibility, deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. everyone it's that time of week again where we get together and talk some Bengals football and the nfl it's the orange and black insider Bengals podcast i'm anthony Cazenza, and i am joined as usual by john sheeran i think he has i, I think you've recovered from your from your cruise adventure uh down down south how you doing my friend brain cells are doing fine the tan's starting to come in it was like 60 degrees in cincinnati i'm wearing shorts right now i'm feeling pretty good 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 should i tell you it's like 73 oh, out here that. <laughs> well, I, I, I probably don't have as nice of a tan as you, uh, and and when I do get tan, I, I, I get tan a little bit, but I because that's I, an Italian name. In I know, opinion. but but my yeah, my my mom's side is they're they're pasty, uh, so <laughs> I don't I don't have too much of the Italian stuff. My that's more my my brother and my dad. We're all we're all pretty pasty in our own way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's true. <laughs> but uh, excited to be back here. We are, you know, I don't want to call it a lull in terms of where we're at in the NFL calendar, but it is kind of a, uh, I guess, a little release off the gas pedal. is not hitting the brakes, but a release off the gas pedal, I guess, because, you know, the frenzy that starts free agency at the beginning of March has, has died down, and now we're gearing up in a couple of weeks for the NFL draft. So tonight we're going to talk about, we're not going to give our mock drafts yet. That's going to come in about a week or so because we're going to engage in the SB Nation Network mock draft. And uh, so get make sure you, you join us for that. Or if you can't join us live when we put it up, then uh, make sure you get it on the audio feed and on cincyjungle.com. But uh, we're going to talk about uh, one specific quarterback, and uh, he's a regional favorite and potential connections and all of that. How does it make sense? The logic, we've already got comments in the in the YouTube chat talking about this specific player. So we're going to talk about him and the Cincinnati Bengals. We're going to talk about some sleeper guys that we have pegged in this year's draft who could come in and help the Bengals specifically because of positions of needs and where the Bengals are picking in the draft. And then we're going to take another trip down memory lane a little bit and go down and talk about some of the best value picks the Bengals have had, especially in recent years. Uh, but 
there have been quite a few guys that they've gotten in the in the later rounds that have helped this team immensely over the years. So we're going to kind of reminisce a little bit about that and hopefully give a little hope for fans in terms of what the Bengals could, who the Bengals could get, what type of player they could get towards the end of the draft. If you're new to this program, we record live usually Wednesday nights every week. Um, otherwise, most other listeners get the program on a number of different platforms, and you can do the same as well. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher, we're on Spotify, we're on Google Play, we're on the Megaphone platform. We are on. Uh, we have a YouTube channel as well. We're on CincyJungle.com. So there's really no excuse for you to get this program, no matter what kind of devices you have, no matter if you're more prone to read the Cincy Jungle website. We're on a lot of different platforms. So check us out, leave us a review, uh, give us some feedback, and we look forward to engaging with you throughout this show and shows in the future because quite often, almost every episode, we go through some listener questions live on the air and we've already got a couple of queued up. Excited to get that to that at the end of the show. Yeah, no excuse for no five-star reviews either. So That's right. Yeah, you, had, you I love that tweet you threw out. Only five stars. Yeah, I don't that was so weird. Like I, I go to that bar like every week and I've never seen that 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 memo up there, but whatever. Um so yeah, we'll we'll get to the value picks uh, later, but I kind of want to start the show with talking about the first round and talking about a player that a lot of Bengals fans are well familiar with and kind of hope at least at the start of the draft season that he would that he would be available for the Bengals pick. And I think there was a period where we kind of assumed that he would be off the board by the time the Bengals picked 11th overall. Now they're starting this, I guess, negative momentum for his sake in terms of where he's going to end up and if he could um, survive the first 10 picks of the draft and be available to the Bengals 11th overall. Of course, I'm talking about Ohio State quarterback Dwayne Haskins. And I've been thinking about him lately because I've been thinking about the draft overall and just how – what we can kind of predict about what's going to happen on April 25th or April 26th when the first round happens. I think I, there's a couple of locks that I'm, I'm pretty comfortable making. I think Kyler's going one. He's going to go to either Arizona or Oakland trades up for him. I think those are the two teams that is most uh, smitten with him. I think Nick Bosa, um, Dwayne Haskins' teammate, is pretty much a lock for the top two. If, if not one, he's going to go two to San Francisco. And then another Bengals fan favorite, Devin White's pretty much a lock for Tampa Bay at fifth, fifth overall. So now you're thinking, okay, that's one quarterback going in the top five. There's probably two others that are probably going to go sort of right after him, and we're not really sure which one is going to go first, whether it's going to be Drew Locke or Dwayne Haskins, because they both have separate positives and negatives. But maybe in the NFL's point of view, maybe Locke has more positives that kind of Make him more of an upside guy, more of a more of a, maybe more of a proven player than a guy like Haskins is one year starter. So then you're looking at okay, where does Haskins possibly go if not you know to the Bengals at eleven? Where does he go before that? So you're looking at New York, who obviously needs a replacement for Eli Manning, but there's word about that pick being locked in for a defensive player, whether it be Devin White or maybe like a Montez Sweat. Then you look at Jacksonville, who's a, a, early in the offseason was like a prime favorite landing spot for Haskins, but they just signed Nick Foles to an $88 million contract with like 50 or $60 million to that guarantee. So you're thinking, okay, maybe Haskins isn't going to be able to sit on the bench for two years, so maybe that, that puts him off the table there. So now you're going to the, the Lions at eight. They have Stafford. You go to the Bills at nine. They traded up for Josh Allen last year. And then you have the Broncos finally at 10th overall who – uh, traded for Joe Flacco, but probably will be in the market for a quarterback this year. But they're all smitten with Drew Locke, and that's that's another potential favorite landing spot. So now you're thinking, okay, if Dwayne Haskins 
somehow falls 10 picks to the Bengals, is he not only in the front-running name for that conversation, but who else is available that could possibly be taking over him? And you're thinking about, okay, if, if this conversation goes on in the Bengals' war room, if Haskins is there, who are the names that they could possibly want to draft over him? And I can only really think of two. And it's Ed Oliver, the defensive tackle from Houston, who is pretty much confirmed to be a top five prospect in this class, no matter who you talk to. He would probably be the best player available. Or maybe a guy like Devin Bush, who, if Devin White is off the board, Bush becomes the next available linebacker, fills a bigger, more immediate need than Haskins. But, Anthony, I'm, I'm sitting here, I'm thinking, okay, even if we don't have Haskins rated above Oliver or Bush, is it just better for the Bengals to just take Haskins and not and be the first team since the Buffalo Bills to not have to trade up for a first-round quarterback outside of the top three picks since 2013? I, I, I just think that even if you don't have Haskins rated above both of those guys in terms of just pure prospects, kind of just have to take the quarterback if he falls to you at that point. There are so many variables, in my opinion, to this in, in terms of a possible approach by the Bengals, by any team looking for for Haskins. I'm gonna try and not. I'm gonna try and not uh, have like uh, incoherent thoughts in terms of of expressing these variables. Um, but I mean, there there's so many things you could do, right? I mean, it's. Uh, there's the, do you go right for the, your biggest need, which as it still stands today, linebacker is the biggest need on this team followed closely by offensive line. And then you kind of work around from there. There are other arguments to be had at, you know, at other spots. Quarterback is probably within those top three or four position groups, either as a developmental guy behind Andy Dalton, or for those who have drawn the line in the sand and said, Andy Dalton is not my guy. I, 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 this is where I struggle because Haskins has a lot of tools. Haskins has has that one great season. Unfairly, there is the knock of the Ohio State quarterbacks translating to the pros. Um, you know, there's always the outlier, and he could be the outlier that says he is the guy because he has more tools that are ready right now. You know, you mentioned – possibly at least one, possibly two quarterbacks that could be rated higher depending on which scouts you ask, which teams you ask, then Haskins. So my, my thing is this, and uh, this, this may be why I'm not working in a front office or, or on the sidelines for a team, but my thing is if you have a high pick, top 15, top 10-ish, my thing is you better get the top player at a position – then um and and granted your board's gonna move other teams may get a guy that you don't that you don't you know you don't expect to go and and what have you but um there is an equation to use obviously you don't want to get some random player that just is not going to be useful year one and i mean there are like i said there are so many variables to take into account here but you need to get an immediate impact player at with your top picks and especially with the Cincinnati Bengals, who have not done the greatest job of late in doing so. I don't know that Dwayne, that is the second or third best player with it, with the number, you know, 11 overall pick. Is that good value? I, I mean, the position has a high premium, obviously, but if you have, if you're staring at an Ed Oliver that you have as the number one interior 
defensive lineman on your board or a Devin White, a Devin Bush, who are maybe your number one player on the board and you have a quarterback that is your number three player on the board, do you panic as Zach Taylor to put your stamp, I've said this a bunch of times throughout the last few weeks, to put your stamp on this Bengals team as head coach to get your quarterback or get a quarterback. I, I, I don't know. If, if you rush to that, who knows? Haskins could be a vast improvement over Dalton. Uh, or you rush into it because you're a young, inexperienced head coach and you want to get your, your quarterback or a quarterback and you pick the wrong guy, and all of a sudden that sets you back not only from a non-useful first-round pick right away, but potentially at you know a non-useful player at the most valuable position on your team. Now that's not to say I don't think Haskins is not going to be good or anything like that. I'm just saying this is where I think the arguments and and you know the tug of wars ensue in in war rooms. And to me, I just think, who knows? Maybe he is their top quarterback. But to me, at 11, you have to get a guy that is a top, top, top player at his position, pre- preferably at a need. Right. And when you when you compare Haskins to other quarterbacks, like you compare Oliver to other defense tackles and Bush to other linebackers, I think for most people that, that would fall – right around the same ranking. I think Quentin Williams is pretty pretty firmly over Oliver, I think, in terms of just an overall prospect. I think White is probably over Bush and for most people as a linebacker. And I just think overall, I think Murray's probably the more exciting player over Haskins who probably has a little bit more of that perceived upside. So I think that is probably equal. And I also think that in, in terms of what the Bengals – in terms of the Bengals' purchases, there's probably two aspects to this. One, I think that – if they take Haskins, it won't be a reach in their mind. It, it won't be them just getting a quarterback to get a quarterback. I think if they end up taking Haskins, if somehow he falls to number 11, which I don't think is likely is going to be the likely case on draft day because we see time after time teams just not wait around and go get the quarterback and end up trading up for him. It just always happens now if you're picking outside of that top three, top five range. But I think if Haskins does end up falling there and, and be the anomaly, I think it – and if, and if he is taken by the Bengals, I think it, w- it will be because he is at the top of their board, or if not the top of the board, one of the top two or three names on their board, and obviously filling one of their top needs, which is quarterback, because we've just, we've discussed on the show many times that a quarterback is probably going to be taken in the first three or four rounds. Minus will be round number one if, if he's one of the top players on your board, and that position of value gets that get, get, gets him that extra push. And looking back to when they drafted Dalton, you know, they, they – Drafted A.J. Green fourth the row because he was the top player on their board. He filled a, a vast need there. They could have taken like a Jake Locker. They could have taken a Blaine Gabbard because they did need a quarterback. They knew Carson Palmer wasn't coming back. But, no, they, they, they decided to, to hold off on that position as important as the quarterback is. They ended up taking the elite player in A.J. Green, watched him go to seven Pro Bowls, and then waited until the next – or waited until round two to address the quarterback position. They didn't rush it. They ended up having a potential choice between Colin Kaepernick and Andy Dalton, and then – ended up going with Andy Dalton. They ended up drafting Dalton and having Kaepernick go to the 49ers. So they didn't rush that pick in that um, overall position back then. I don't think they're going to do it now, even with Marvin Lewis out of the picture and Zach Taylor in the picture, because this is still a team for the most part with the same decision makers in the building. I just think that's that's how they operate. And and I guess the overall question is, you know, what is going to be that player that would make, that would 
cause them to just ignore Haskins and go on with the best player available because I, I think most people w- would tell you that right now Ed Oliver is like the better defensive tackle than Dwayne Haskins is as a quarterback. And even, even me, like I don't love Haskins, the prospect right now. I think right now he plays a lot like a, a, a similar version of like a Derek Carr who will kind of take what he can get and and can through and does have decent art talent to push the ball down the field, but just isn't comfortable at that point to really make all those, you know, second, third level throws that we see the great quarterbacks do. And that's not an indictment on Haskins. He's still only 21 years old. And again, he only has that one year starting experience, but you're really investing in Has in Haskins and what he can be down the road versus what he is right now. And what he is right now is kind of a risky prospect. And that's, I guess, why maybe the, teams like the Giants and the Jaguars are, are going to pass on him for a more polished player at a different position. That's why he may fall at the top, uh, at the top 10 p- picks. And I think when comparing Haskins to a guy like Locke, one of, one of the things I think that the NFL might might be a little more keen towards Locke is that he is a better athlete and he might be able to work better out of structure. And that's something that Haskins definitely needs to work on, definitely needs to improve, especially in the NFL in 2019. But also Locke is a three- or four-year starter in the SEC and Haskins is a one-year start in the, in, in the Big Ten, and I think that may not matter to lots of fans, but I think that matters a lot to the NFL brass. So these these could be issues that could end up pushing Haskins down the board, and we just need to see if they're big enough for a team like the Bengals, who do need to find an answer beyond Andy Dalton, beyond you know twenty twenty, and if that's enough to invest in Haskins. And I, I guess it'll just be interesting to see if Haskins ends up does end up falling, which again I don't think is going to happen. And also, like. If the Bengals do end up trading for Haskins, which would be shocking to me, I do think it would be either it, – it, it wouldn't be anything more than just, like, to the Lions, like, eighth overall. I think if Haskins does follow the top five, we won't see, like, a deal with, like, the Giants, the Jaguars. I think eighth is probably the highest – like, I could see them jumping. But, like, the Bills are picking ninth. There is that relationship going back and forth with the Bills, jumping the Broncos, who may, may not have gotten their quarterback yet. I think that's, like – the prime situation for them because it would only it wouldn't be the like a vast massive blockbuster deal to end up going up for that but I I think if it does happen that's probably where we see that happen and it, it would be a trend breaker but it would there would be some logical precedent behind it I guess yeah and that was uh, you're, you you set me up well for a couple of my my next points here um, you know I, I, going back to what I was saying about um, you know, getting a, a premium player at a specific spot, especially in the early rounds and at a higher pick in the early rounds. I mean, you look, you don't have to look any further. Now, granted, they picked 21 last year, um, but you don't have to look any further as to what happened at the center position. Center center isn't necessarily a premium position in the draft, but the Bengals waited around, sat on their hands, and most people feel like they got the lesser prospect uh, in doing so, and they needed a center desperately, so they reached. Uh, now that's not to say Billy Price won't be a good player for the, for the Bengals. He had his ups and downs as a rookie, as we know, but I think what you just said about needing to maybe trade up even a couple of spots, um, you know, that, that could be a possibility. I want to say this though, and we've sat here for, for the last couple of months and we've wondered about the quarterback position for the Bengals, but we've also kind of been critical of this class. There's a lot of risks. There's a lot of high upside guys like a Haskins, like a Murray, we keep kind of glossing over the fact that, yes, this isn't the strongest quarterback class, and yes, the Bengals could potentially get a higher talented guy next year, the year after, but what we keep glossing over is the fact that this team is 
has some talent accrued on the offensive side of the ball to greatly assist a rookie quarterback, a young quarterback coming in. You Not many teams have an A.J. Green, a Tyler Boyd, a Giovanni Bernard, a Joe Mixon, a Tyler Eifert. Granted, the health issues, we know that. Big ifs all around. But if most of those guys stay healthy, if Joe Mixon continues to progress into an all-pro type of back, some of these shortcomings may not be as noticeable with this surrounding talent. I know that's the Dalton argument, <laughs> but I'm just saying there, there is an early prop up for some of these guys. Um, you know, Dalton had some of that with Green, but they they had to take a couple of years to to build that side of the ball to help him out even further. Um, I just want to throw that out there. I know it's the Dalton excuse, but uh, I do think that there is a little bit of a leg up from the offensive skill positions on the Bengals for a rookie quarterback. And I think we kind of continue to gloss over that. And rightfully so. They're they're coming off of three straight losing seasons. The offense hasn't done much, and there's been a lot of injuries. But, um, you know, you, know, you never know. Uh, I do think that if Haskins is there at 11, he will be heavily weighed. And I think part of that is because Zach Taylor wants to get a guy, his guy, whether that's Haskins or not, I don't know, but I, I think that that will probably be heavily weighed. And if he even follows beyond that, um, I think a discussion definitely needs to, to be had by the Bengals to move back into the round to potentially get him. And we saw Lamar Jackson fall pretty far last year, right? Yeah, he was. I think it was the 32nd pick. Mm-hmm. I don't think he only has to do that far. No, no. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. But uh, not, there, there has not been much on the front of a visit f- from Haskins, correct? Yeah, they've been getting just the, the tackles and the linebackers. In, so right. may, and, and, like, I, I believe um, – I'm, I'm not sure when the Billy Price visit was. I think this is around the time where we saw, like, Ragnow and James Daniels get their visits and maybe some other offensive tackles as well. It, it really is, like, like – I think in a week it's when we traditionally get, get like, the – we start reading the tea leaves about what are like the, like the five like main prospects that they're considering. And then I guess like a couple days before the draft, Lapham will open his, his big fat mouth and kind of spill the beans a little bit. So we're not there yet. Yeah. I'm looking at some of the comments in the live YouTube chat. Captain Brad ass, which I think is a funny name uh, says, love you guys. We need a star middle linebacker would be a team changer. Hands down. He also followed that up with the need to do whatever it takes to get a franchise middle linebacker. Um, Preston Brown not doing it for you, man. Yeah, he's a linebacker. Yeah, yeah. I mean, that's that's who they've got pegged. Um, uh, uh, gosh, there's a lot of other questions we can get to later. But uh, Jason Von Stein says Haskins feels like Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> what the? Uh, hell? I I don't know about that one, but uh, I mean, hey. I think I, I think I do know, but I don't want to say it out loud. Okay. Um, yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, I and then I saw someone else say that uh, Ed Oliver is the, this year's draft equivalent to Kajana Carter on defense, so that was kind of... What is going on in these comments? Yeah, <laughs> you got to kind of navigate that one. Oh, uh, but, but um, I, you know, the draft is a risk. We know that. Quarterback is especially a risk. The good news is because of the contract structure of uh quarterbacks and and rookies and all of that uh the the risk and the detriment if it doesn't pan out is far less than it was you know 
eight, 10 years ago, uh, because of the, the immense cost that usually came with quarterbacks and first round picks. And now that's just not totally the case, but I th- will see a quarterback, I think pretty early in this draft yeah. at some point, whether that's, you know, the second round pick for a developmental guy. I saw Bucky Brooks on NFL.com pegged. Will Greer is a guy that may be a developmental guy for the Bengals, maybe round two, round three, that sort of thing, or maybe pick 11. We don't know, but uh, good topic to, to debate. I think he's going to be in discussion, John. That's that's for sure. Yeah. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. He's John Sheeran. I'm Anthony Cazenza. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on Spotify. It's also on the Megaphone platform. You can also get it on YouTube. All of our content is there, and you can join us live every episode that we record through our YouTube channel and Google Hangouts. But uh you can get it there. You can also get all our stuff on cincyjungle.com. We've got a lot of questions, both in the live YouTube chat, as well as uh, some that have been queued up for a little while throughout the week. Been, been People have been hitting up the OBI line, so we're going to try and get to those in just a little while towards the end of the show. And you can text us at any point, 949-542-6241 is the number. Uh, we will be taking potentially some calls towards the end of the show if we've got some time and uh, all these questions permit. So you can call us towards the end of the program. Uh, otherwise, text us throughout and we'll try and get to your question on the air. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. John, it's time to kind of put our ourselves on the spot a little bit here. Um, every year, people are looking for that diamond in the rough. Uh, the sleeper picks, the guys that you can get in the middle rounds, the late rounds that can come in and not only be you know a, a role player, an effective starter, maybe even a, a hidden star. Um, now, sleeper is a relative term to a lot of people, you know, Sometimes a late first round pick to somebody is a sleeper because they weren't expected to be a first round pick. Um, sometimes it's, you know, the end of day two. Sometimes it's the seventh round, whatever the case may be. But there are varying definitions. I wanted to not just say just in general sleeper picks. I wanted to say I wanted us to talk about sleeper picks as it pertains to the Bengals in terms of their positional needs uh, what they did and didn't do in free agency, and you know, just overall guys that may be getting overlooked because of other big names at their position in this draft. So I don't know if we want to, you know, we maybe go two or three each because uh, we're a little, you know, we, there's only so much time we can talk about mm-hmm. this. But maybe we go back and forth. So I'll let you, I'll let you tee it off here. Do you have one? Uh, regardless of position, I guess, but do you have one that maybe not a lot of Bengals fans, Bengals outlets are talking, mock drafts are talking about, again, not necessarily for the first round pick, but someone that could come in, maybe a third round pick, a fourth round pick, or later that could come in and really surprise some people, especially early on. Okay. Um, I'll, I'll start with going on the offensive side of the ball. 
So a lot, there's been a lot of talk this year about tight ends and how deep this tight end class is and how if you don't get one of the Iowa guys in the first round, there's plenty of other guys that you can get on day two, maybe even day three that can that can provide similar production early on in their careers. And the scouting combine was kind of disappointing for a number of tight ends. So I think Irv Smith was one of the more disappointing performances there. He didn't really show off a lot of athleticism, even though he's quite young and has the Alabama pedigree. But one guy who stood down the combine – and who also stood on the senior bowl was uh, a guy named Foster Foster Morrow. He's a tight end from LSU, and this is going to be shocking, but he didn't really produce at LSU, you know. But you imagine a pass catcher not putting up prolific numbers on LSU's offense. But it was, it was true. He only counted for, I think, 10%, 11% of LSU's passing offense, which compared to other tight ends is kind of in that starter range, that little below average, around the 50th percentile range for most tight ends. So he wasn't overly productive, but he blew away – he blew away – Every drill at the combine tested at or above the 90th percentile in terms of speed, explosion, and flexibility for his size. And I think that's incredibly important for tight ends and and how we how we can find the next like George Kittle or the next you know not Travis Kelsey but other mid round tight ends that end up producing you know well into their careers because tight ends are not overly dominant as rookies. They kind of progress into the role as they learn the offense because they're charged with doing a lot of things. You know, they're, they're, they're blocking and pass and run blocking. They're also going up against, you know, safeties and coverage and doing all sorts of things. So it takes a while for them to kind of emulate themselves in the offense. But when you have that elite athleticism at, at all three levels, that really gives you a leg up in your development and helps you produce a little bit more early on. And when you're looking at the Bengals, you have a guy like Yuzomi who you have as like a solid starter. You still have five for years a one year on a one-year contract, but you can't rely on him to stay healthy. So you, you kind of want to have that athletic blocker who can also get some yards after catch to help out Yuzoma. And I think in the fourth or maybe even fifth round, a uh, guy like Moro's that athletic high upside tight end that not a lot of people are talking about because of how deep this tight end class is. But I think he, if there's, if there's going to be a next George Kittle type tight end in this class, I think he's probably where you got to look at because he's behind right behind Noah fan is the most athletic, athletic tight end in this class. And I think his, his production capabilities, it, it goes beyond what he showed at LSU because of the limitations of that offense. So I will also, and that's a, that's a good pick. Uh, definitely aware of him, and uh, yeah, that's a good pick there. I'm I'm going to stay at this position, and I've, I got to give my brother credit because uh, maybe maybe he had a little bit of alumni homerism here, but um, he pointed me in the direction of this kid that I really didn't know too much about. Uh, his name is Kahale Waring or Waring W A R R I N G. Uh, about six six two fifty two. The guy ran a four six seven at the combine uh, at that size. That's that's not that's not too much to sneeze at. Now that's not blazing fast, but that's decent for that size. Uh, can move a little bit, can catch a little bit, and if you read about him, he only has I think it was seven career touchdowns, uh, eight career touchdowns with the Aztecs at San Diego State. But a guy that. Is, is one of those guys that if, as he's coming into the NFL, his arc is starting to go. He's at the climbing of his arc. He's not plateauing. He's not show, he's, he hasn't shown his best tape, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And the reason why is because football, he came to football late. And if you, if you read about him, he, he was, you know, he played water polo and basketball and all, all kinds of different sports. And, those are sports that are obviously different than football, but they 
those two sports in general are ones where boxing out is a, is a big deal. Get it, catching the, the ball, uh, blocking out defenders, being physical in different ways. And it's served some tight ends well. Uh, it's, it's a little unclear as to where he might be drafted uh, because he is still kind of a project guy. Now, I'm going to say this, even though he ran a, a decent 40 at 4.67, um, he is not the flex option like a Tyler Eifert. He is not a TJ Hawkinson. He is not, you know, he's not one of these guys that uh, you can you can always put in the slot and he's going to, you know, streak down the field all the time. But he is, he is a guy who will help you out as a blocker. He is a more traditional style tight end, an inline blocker that will help out, chip in the pass game, and move the sticks. Um, and I think he could be a good red zone guy. I don't know that he'll ever be a superstar. Uh, you know, as I looked around and, and at various other scouting reports, NFL.com said that he could be a projected starter for a club down the road in terms of his abilities and all of that. Um, Kahale Waring, that's a guy at, at the tight end spot that I've been made aware of recently and I think is a guy that uh, could could be beneficial to the Bengals, especially because that group seems to always experience injuries and this kid uh, has a lot of upside. Yeah, I, re- I remember hearing his name like right around, I think, the combine when um, Jace Sternberger from Texas A&M kind of disappointed a little bit. He was, a, he was a name that kind of ascended himself, so that's definitely a name to watch during day two. I'll switch over to the defensive side of the ball. Um, pass rusher, I believe, is a bigger need for the Bengals than I think most, and early in the draft process, I was – an advocate for an edge rusher in the first round. And still, if a guy like a like a Brian Burns is is there in the first, at 11th row, I think the Bengals should seriously consider him. But say say they, you know, they they table that uh position for maybe like round three or four, maybe maybe specifically round three, because round three seems to be, at least in the Marvin Lewis era, that that prime spot for a defensive end. And I think one that should end up being there and should definitely be considered is Max Crosby. Um edge rusher from Eastern Michigan. Um, honestly, when you look at Crosby's and Nick Bosa's athleticism testing, both at their size, it's pretty damn equal in terms of speed, explosion, and flexibility. Crosby's extremely flexible, and that definitely shows up on tape. And you're thinking, okay, Eastern Michigan didn't really play much tough competition. The, um, the first tape I saw of him was against Purdue. Again, Purdue's not a powerhouse by any, by any means, but still more talented than Eastern, than Eastern Michigan competition traditionally, and he dominated that game. And, again, Purdue doesn't have any spectacular tackle prospects, but he's just the guy that will just make his mark whenever and, whenever and, and wherever he's lined up, and he mainly lined up. Uh, as strong side defensive end, usually in, in the left end spot. And you can just see that athleticism testing on display on, in each and every snap. And it's kind of a cliche, but he's just kind of one of those guys that just doesn't take take plays off. And that's where massively, that's where his massive production came from in terms of just playing a ton of snaps, um, both in run defense and pass rushing. And, and you'd like to see that athleticism translate onto the field. And you talk about a guy like Jordan Willis, who was also drafted in the third round by the Bengals, who he tested tremendously at the combine for his size, but that athleticism didn't really show up on tape at Kansas State, and it hasn't really translated into the NFL in two years. But Crosby, I think, has more natural athleticism to him. I think he's got tremendous hand usage for a guy who's only 22 years old, and obviously you don't produce at an amazing level like like he did even if even against you know competition of, of Eastern Michigan, but I think that he, before the combine he was maybe in that fifth or sixth round range as kind of like you know 
one of those surprise sleeper guys. But now I think he has sent himself to that, that that top 100 discussion. And if the Bengals haven't addressed pass rusher uh, in the first two rounds, I think he's a name that should definitely be on the radar by then because I think he could fill in at along with Carl Lawson as maybe those like nickel pass rushers behind a Carl Stanlep or a Sam Hubbard and give him some type of burst and flexibility off the edge because that's just an, that's just a variable that they just don't have right now. And especially with Lawson coming off a torn ACL, there's a lot of questions with their pass rush and just their defensive line in general. And getting, getting a guy like Crosby who can win with his hands and also win with athleticism, he's proven production, proven athleticism. I think he's a guy that they should definitely keep their eyes on. I like it. I'm going to stick with the uh, the West Coast. And this may not be a sleeper name to some because – you know, if you're if you're a mock draft fiend, you've probably seen this name mentioned to them a couple of times. I know you have mentioned him. I want to give you credit, John. You have mentioned him. I think it was all the way back, maybe when you called in from the Senior Bowl. You may have mentioned this guy, uh, Chuma Adoga, yep. the 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 offensive tackle from USC. And I apologize if I'm stealing him from you here, John. But um, when you started mentioning him, I, I had known him just from watching Pac-12 football and watching USC, and I had known him, and I, I wasn't overly enamored with him just in general because the the USC offensive line over the past, uh, in, in 2018, and really starting in 2017, had really taken a step back uh, in terms of what what they've done, what they were able to do in the run game. And obviously Sam Darnold not being there, that, that was an effect just on the offense overall. But uh, this, this is a kid who's probably going to be there in the third round, maybe fourth round. You can get him uh, if you're the Bengals, you know, upper middle parts of those rounds potentially. And you may have an Anthony Collins plus type of player on yeah. your hands. Um, a, a guy who has some uh, some versatility, some flexibility to play either tackle spot, some athleticism, and uh, can be on a roster for a while. I don't know that he will ever be a star player, a starter. I don't know that uh, that he will be a you know a ten year starter on a team. But like an Anthony Collins, maybe even a bit more, he can be a guy that can start well for you in a pinch. He can start in, and not just a game, but a handful of games if you need it. And he's got tools to develop. Um, he, he has he has to add a little bulk, and um, I, I think the the knock on him is that he's he's very able in the pass protection game, uh, but he needs to do a little bit more in the run side of things, which is a polar opposite of some of the other guys, uh, Bobby Hart, Alex Redmond, that that the Bengals put out there on the right side of the line last year, but. You know, if they decide to forego a Cody Ford, a Jonah Williams, you know, these guys at the pick 11, maybe even the top of the second round, and they go maybe quarterback, linebacker early, this could be a guy that's in discussion in the third round, fourth round. I hate to say it, if you want to give Bobby Hart a year to, <laughs> to, to, to stick there at the right tackle spot, you can have this guy to develop if Hart struggles – you can have this guy come off the bench and help you out uh, right tackle. Like I said, he, he has a little flexibility for left tackle, right tackle versatility, I think. And uh, just just a seems like a one of those decent mid-round picks that, that could be on a team for, for a while and, and help out a team, especially from a depth perspective. So, um, again, not a household name, not necessarily an unfamiliar name, but one that just is not up, not mentioned 
with the Juwan Taylors, the Jonah Williams, all those guys. So uh, that's that's another guy for me. Okay, I'll finish it off. Since you went with your school, I'll finish it off with a guy from my school. Love it. Um, I'll stick with the defensive line. I think defensive tackle is probably another position that we could see the Bengals taking somewhere in this draft, probably not, if not at all over in the first round, maybe not even the second round, the third through fifth round range. Let's just throw out the fourth or fifth round, I guess, for, for this guy. Coming into the season for the Cincinnati Bearcats, um, their defense ended up really playing really well, definitely the strength of their team. I think they finished top 20. And coming into the season, it was, it was Marquise Copeland who was like the front headlining name on the, on the defensive front and ended up being Cortez Broaden, who ended up producing at the level that I think a lot of people Copeland thought he was going to produce. And Broaden definitely brought the production relative to Cincinnati's overall uh, defensive line and their overall production. Um, just a tremendous first step, um, tremendous range, which I think is a problem with the, the Bengals' current crop of defensive tackles. You have guys like uh, Ryan Glasgow and Andrew Billings who – also have a good initial jump off the snap, but kind of take themselves out of plays. And wh- whether it be, you know, short wingspan or short arms, their, their overall tackle radius just isn't kind of there. And I don't think that's really an issue with, with Broaden. He's able to put himself in position to make plays at, at and behind the line of scrimmage and end up finishing plays and wrapping up guys, wrapping up uh, running backs behind the, behind the pl- line of gain. Um, so the production's there. He wasn't invited to the combine, unfortunately, but he did test extremely well his pro day. I think he ran near a close five-second flat 40 at about 293 pounds and six foot two. So he got he had the overall athleticism, and he also did some decent jumps. So he had the athleticism. He had the production. Uh, Cincinnati's definitely not a powerhouse school, so he's not going to get the clout to be a top 100 pick. He might not even be picked until like maybe the sixth or seventh round. But when you're in the fifth round and the analytics checks all the boxes in terms of production – and, and athleticism, and there's solid tapes to go there as well. I think th- those are just the, the things that you're looking for. And if you, they haven't taken a defensive lineman at that point, I think um, Cortez Broaden is a good name to remember. Um, obviously, Taylor should know him because he was, I think, a sophomore when Taylor was there as the director of, of player development there at the University of Cincinnati, so there should be a connection there. Obviously, Doug Roosevelt, who was also in the UC staff, he knows him as well. So I think when the Bengals have their local pro day, Broaden, uh, uh, Broaden will be brought in there and work out for them. So there should be some connections there. And if, again, fifth or sixth round, if they're looking at the board, and I, I think he should be near the top if they haven't addressed that position yet. Yeah, and I think, um, and I'm going to get to a couple of quick ones, actually, that are uh, that are from our listeners. So I'm cheating a little bit here, John. I, uh, I hope that's okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, but, I mean, I, th- I think I don't really want to see the Bengals keep three sixth-round picks. But yeah. I, th- I think Five. If- yeah, 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 excuse me. Uh, I, I, I just, I don't want to see them keep all those picks personally, but I think if they've done some good work in those first handful of rounds, that's where you can get some of these guys in that fifth, sixth round where you can kind of get a little creative, get these project guys with high upside and, and, you know, like, like the, the kid you were just talking about. So, um, you know, I, I think at that point, then maybe, you know, you try and find a diamond in a rough by using all of those picks. Uh, what, real quickly, we had one from Dan from Tennessee. And by the way, this is not me. This is a West Coast kid. This is not me re- talking about this one. This is Dan from Tennessee who texted us saying, uh, love love the show. Thanks, Dan. We Thanks, love you Dan. too, buddy. Uh, diehard Bengal fan. Sleeper, Ryan Pope. 
offensive tackle from San Diego State, 6'7", 315 pounds. He's, he fluctuates between 315 and 320. But uh, 35 and, and a quarter inch arms, who day. Uh, the, the problem with San Diego State is that they are just not known as a, a high-quality football program. They also play in a weak conference. So a lot of these guys that are – that do come out of there just don't get some of the notoriety, but project guy, big, 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 big kid. Um, but project guy, again, one of these guys that that's probably going to be there towards the end of the draft, maybe undrafted, but I, I don't, I don't know about that, but uh, one of those guys that you just take a flyer on and uh, it's obviously position. It's a position of need. Um, I, I don't think he has, even though, there's been a little bit of a trade-off between what right tackles and left tackles do in the NFL. I don't know that he is a true left tackle, but um, at, at the next level. But I, you know, big kid that I think, uh, you know, you've got some clay to mold there. So that was a good one from Dan from Tennessee, and God bless him, Ken Dipple from uh, who has been who's in the YouTube chat. He also contacted us this week and told us about this kid last week. There will be a post coming up on. CincyJungle.com, old old Bart Bart Williams, right? We we were saying uh, he sounded like a professor's name. No, he's a fake. It's a fake name. Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, <laughs> Grand Valley State, but you know, impressive resume from the kid. I think he had 122 total touchdowns, including one season where he had 45 touchdown passes, um, over 10,000 career yards. As I did some research per Ken's urging. Uh, I, uh, and, and we appreciate it, but, um, it, it's a guy I, I, that was just not on my radar, but as I did some research on him, impressive statistics, obviously D2 kid, uh, he's got some good size and, and all of that. Um, unfortunately, most reports have him at the undrafted stage, uh, going forward in the NFL, probably a guy who's going to be a practice squad guy or a guy that looks to latch on a final roster spot, potentially on a team that keeps three quarterbacks instead of two, but a guy that uh, may bounce around a little bit towards the, towards the first year or two of his career, but could, could be a decent backup um, as, as thing, as he matures and all of that. Like I said, there's a lot of statistics. There's a lot of um, good things to like there on paper, but I just I don't I don't know that that's a guy that's going to be a viable NFL option down the road. But uh, impressive resume, at least from a st- statistical standpoint. Even though he's a small school guy, and uh, he may be a guy that the bang- if, even if they get another developmental guy, I mean they may they're going to keep another one on the practice squad. So um, right. he he may be a guy there as well. So we I, I appreciate the heads up on both those guys. I was familiar with Pope a little bit, but uh, I, I, you know, and and I became familiar with Bart Williams after after Ken uh, told us about him last week. But those are some of the sleepers that we have. Yours again, John. Just list them real quick. So I went Foster Morrow, Max uh, the, the Foster Morrow, the tight end from LSU, Max Crosby, the edge rusher from Eastern Michigan, Cortez Broaden, the defensive tackle from the University of Cincinnati. The 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 <laughs> University of Cincinnati, yeah, and I had uh, Kahali Waring, the tight end from San Diego State, Chuma Adoga, the offensive lineman from USC, and then we had two other suggestions from our listeners: Ryan Pope, offensive tackle from San Diego State, and Bar- Bartholomew Williams, 
Bartholomew. Yeah, Bartholomew. That's a that's a great name. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You just heard us talking about some sleepers. There's plenty more. We may even bring it up again as we get closer to the draft. You never know. But those are some of our sleepers to watch in terms of Bengal needs and guys that we have researched a bit about coming into this week. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Spotify, on Google Play, on the Megaphone platform. You can get it on YouTube and CincyJungle.com. Well, John, we've talked about Dwayne Haskins and what the Bengals could do at pick 11. We've talked about some sleepers that they could get later in the draft, be it the mid-rounds or later rounds. Now it's time to talk about some of the best value picks that the Bengals have had in recent years and give us some hope going forward this year and in the years ahead under Zach Taylor as to you know, give us an idea as to, you know, some of these guys who contributed and, and contributed at a high level despite their draft stock, their draft status. So uh, we'll kind of go back and forth again. Uh, give me one of your – it could be from the Marvin Lewis era. It could be from before. Give me one that just really sticks out in your mind uh, based on now, – now, here's here's the thing before I kick it over to you. The draft has changed so much. I mean, we could we could sit here and we could talk about some of these guys from the 80s, the 70s, the 60s, when the draft was 10, 12, you know, right. multiple, multiple rounds long, whereas that is just not the case right now. So um, your, your take on some of the best Bengals value picks, whether it is from yesteryear, more recently, whatever. So – when I think about this question, I think the, the Bengals have gotten a lot of production, a lot of starts from players drafted beyond like the third round because you know they, they rely so heavily on developing those guys. But when I talk about like the best value, I think initially, okay, what what kind of players were they back in college? Should they have been drafted well before they ended up getting drafted? And is that where that value came from? So I'm going to kind of go off like that precedent a little bit. And the first name to me that comes to mind is actually Marvin Jones. And I could go like Geno Atkins. I could have went like a Clint Bowling's, a, a guy who maybe still on the team, but Marvin Jones was drafted 166th overall, one right before Joe Loka actually. Um, I think it was with the pick that they got in the trade uh, when they traded Chad Johnson to the Patriots, or maybe it was the Keith Rivers trade. It was, it, was, it was a pick given to them by a trade. And honestly, Marvin Jones should not have lasted that long well into the fifth round. I think he should have been probably off the board by about day three Um, from California. He was pretty productive. Wasn't quite the prospect that Deshaun Jackson was coming out of there a few years before, but had solid production, tested pretty well. Just there was just enough for him to go off the board much more than that. But as we see with receivers, sometimes, you know, there's there's just a, a, crap ton of receivers that get drafted in each draft class each year that some of them just kind of find their way to slipping more than they should. And, you know, the Bengals drafted Mohamed Sanu two rounds before they ended up drafting Marvin Jones. And I think objectively Jones at, at that time was probably the more not, not polished receiver coming out, but had the, had the 
greater upside to develop into a better NFL player down the road. I think that's kind of how their career trajectories kind of ended up because Sanu was relied on more early in, in his career with the Bengals. He ended up getting that opportunity to fill the number two role opposite of AJ Green before Marvin Jones ended up doing so. 2013, Jones started, you know, to coming into his zone while Sanu was kind of being that solid, consistent player. Ended up missing 2014, obviously, with that, um, I believe it was it was an ankle injury. It might have been a forearm. It was a season-ending injury that we didn't think would be a season-ending injury, but he ended up developing into the player that I think some of us saw coming out of that 2012 class and ended up, you know, working his way to a, a starting contract with the Detroit Lions and has really blossomed into an even better player up there with Matthew Stafford. So I, I, I think that that kind of sticks out to me as a true value pick as someone who should not have been available when they ended up picking him and developing him into the player that uh, of, of his maximum potential. And he, and I think Marvin should be extremely proud of the player that he's become. He's an incredible young man. He's a father. He, he's a great husband. And I just think he's a, a tremendous player and, I'm, I'm just extremely happy with all the success that he's had, but I think that um, knowing who he was coming out, this is kind of how it should have happened. I'm glad that he got to spend some of his best years in Cincinnati. Yeah. Local, local Southern California kid. Yeah. Uh, I, you know, I, I think he, uh, he, I had spoken to him before and he said his dad was from Santa Ana, California and he played some ball, I think in the, uh, I think the inland empire out here in Southern California. So, <laughs> um, yeah, yeah, I gotta gotta love that. Uh, I mean, there's so many routes we can go here, and well, like I said, we'll kind of ping pong back and forth here. I mean, I think a real easy, um, a, a real easy way to go is Geno Atkins. Um, I, I think now, I mean, he's basically on on en route to a Hall of Fame career. Um, I mean, I think if he finishes out his career, especially uh, of this deal he just signed, if he finishes it out. In that, you know, still sniffing that double-digit sack number per season and, and being a, you know, a pretty much a dominant force, the, the second or third best interior defensive lineman in the league. Um, I think if he keeps that up, uh, he will be a Hall of Famer. And, and really, if you think about it, fourth-round pick, a guy who – and it's not – it's not so much that Geno Atkins was a guy. I mean, yes, he has benefited from Carlos Dunlap and Michael Johnson and Perfect and other guys. I mean, but it's been the other way around. It's yes. been that the defense centers around what he does and his abilities and the other guys more. The other guys play off of him more than the other way around. And, mm -hmm. you know, Dunlap, second round pick. Michael Johnson, third round pick, uh, you know, if perfect didn't have his issues, who knows where he would have been drafted, probably pretty high. But um, I mean, it, you would think that he would be more of the ancillary piece, the beneficiary of the talent instead of the other way around. And that's, that's what really strikes me with Geno Atkins. Like I said, it's an easy way to go because, you know, he's, he's a star player, but you just don't expect that from, a fourth round pick, uh, the, the, you know, the star factor, the potential hall of fame career. Um, I, I he's now been with the team. He's going to be in his ninth season, I think. So, uh, or 10th season. Um, oh my God, really? Is, is yeah. It's really yeah, 10th, 10th season. <laughs> yeah. Wow. But it's gotta be his ninth, right? No, he's drafted in 2010. So he's going on his, on his, uh, 10th season here. So, um, <clears throat> 
And what a what a class that was. I mean, you had Dunlap and you had Geno Atkins there that that really shaped the defensive line for the Bengals going forward. So I think that's an easy one for me to start off with. But I, I think there is more than you know. Like I said, it's it's about the fact that he is the key and has been the key to what the Bengals defense does. Not so much that he's you know an ancillary nice piece. Um, that's that's what really strikes me about the value there. Okay. Um... I'm looking down the list here. We sorted by like third and seven round picks. I mean, but the the names all kind of pop out. Like, like I could go like a Jonathan Fanene or like a Chin and Duke way. Um, I'll go with Clint Bowling though. I'll, I'll stick with the, that's uh, a good one. Yeah, yeah, that's like, a good one. Like you think about 2011 and how important that draft class was. Not because like your two franchise cornerstones were drafted in the first two picks. Then you had unfortunately. Dante Moak not working out in the third, but then you're like, okay, Clint Bowling, you know, plug and play, you know, seven or I guess, yeah, seven year starting left guard who started out as a right guard in an emergency situation because they had absolute crap at that position when he was, when he was brought in, I think they had Mike McGlynn, like still starting and at, at oh, right guard. And like, yeah. Right. Yeah. Oh, last in the past. Man. I think they, yeah, what well, wasn't, and I think he was still playing behind Nate Living to left guard. So that, no. that, that that guard duo going up against JJ Watts Texans in the playoff game that ended up probably as well as they sh- as they should have expected. But um, yeah, like l- less than what Mar- my point with Marvin Jones. The fourth round was probably where Bowling should have expected to go off, and it was kind of just an expected pick because they had such a vast need of that position, as I just mentioned, the two starters at the position, but kind of fit the range of where he was supposed to go and has developed into about as good of a player that you could expect from like a fourth round pick who wasn't a dominant college player by any means and wasn't tr- a tremendous athlete to really be in a high upside player. But you just look at how the offensive line has evolved in his time here. And there was a time when he was playing b- beside Andrew Whitworth um, and towards the end of Kyle Cook's career when he was still a, a solid player. So he was playing be- between two very solid vets and just overall, the offensive line was was an above-average unit, even in his early years when they had Kevin Zeidler developing and they had Andre Smith, who at, at you know his peak was a, a top half of the league right tackle. So you look at Clint Bowling, you know, in the early years when he was first, you know, getting his feet wet, and you're thinking, okay, this guy is like kind of the ancillary piece of of a, of a solid offensive line. He's not going to really be ever be the best player of, of this group, but he's he's going to do his job. And then. You know, players start to leave. You have the exodus of Whitworth and and, and Zyler, Andre Smith fall off the cliff, and you have issues to attack when you're thinking our whole offensive line relies on Clint Bowling, which is never what I guess you really want from from any offensive line. If if your guard, if your best guard isn't like a Marshall Yonda or a, a Zach Barden, but Bowling has just been the rock of that group. And from a fourth round pick from eight years ago to, to still start and still play at. The, the level that he's really always played and hasn't really shown any signs of falling off and playing on one of the best starting contracts, I guess, of, of any offensive lineman in the league. That's, that, that's, that's the very definition of value to me, I guess. I, I hard, hard pressed to argue there. Um, I'm going to stick at the same position that I mentioned earlier, but a different player. And I, I may get some disagreement on this. Um, I'm going to go with Pat Sims. Uh, Pat Sims was a third round pick by the Bengals in the, in the 2008 draft. And he ended up playing 10 years in the league, eight of them with Cincinnati. Now, um, not 
not one where you sit here and you say, you know, outstanding player, the stats jump off the sheet, all that kind of stuff. A rotational guy, a heavy rotational guy, was part of some of the team's biggest and best defensive units under Mike Zimmer. Um, again, I, you know, rotated with Demata Pico, and and it, it depended on the formations, but a needed big-bodied guy in the AFC North when the Steelers are running the ball down your throat. Um, you know, Baltimore attempted to do it with Ray Rice and all of that. Just a guy that uh, a guy that was just decent and solid. He got a pretty good contract by the Raiders, never really lived up to that. But um, never really a true starter with the Bengals, but pretty durable, rotational guy somewhat productive for his role and a guy that played a, a role in a lot of solid Bengals defenses, in my opinion. So I'll, I'll say Pat Sims in the third round of 2008. I always called him fat Sims for obvious reasons, but I remember like when he left for Oakland, I was, I was kind of upset because he was such a solid piece in that rotation. And then uh, I just don't think he, he ever played the same in, in Oakland. And then when he came back, you're like, really like he's like 30 right, old and then right. he, just, he just didn't do he just didn't do anything uh beyond that um but i guess to round this out let's go with uh you know what i'll, I'll go with a, a personal favorite of mine i'll go with bernard scott uh six Ooh. round pick albany christian who it's like the, it's like the first college that, that pops up in like in like man if you're like creating a player um it, like in, in, in terms of what he was and what he was asked to do, it, it, for a six-round pick, there's nothing really more that, that you could really want. I think he averaged like just a just around four point two or three yards per carry as that complimentary piece. Like he was like like the bargain bin Giovanni Bernard, if you will, because of obviously draft investment and overall talent. But also, I think he had at the time like like Tad Perry had like a, a kickoff return like in some some of the mid 2000s and then they had this like long drought of like no kickoff return for a touchdown and i think yep. Ber yeah Bernard Scott like broke that against the Steelers of, of, of all teams so he was always solid when when he came in and he wasn't really asked to do like really much but in terms of just a six round pick you know, and how rare those those picks end up contributing and, and another guy who you mentioned in the same breath is like Rex Burkhead unfortunately Burkhead didn't what lasts as long in Cincinnati as, as Scott did, I believe. Maybe, maybe it was around the same time period, but um, the, the the impact that Scott had, while, while it wasn't wasn't huge, it was still solid for for what he was and what he was brought in here to do, and to be able to contribute not only in, in spades and offense to relieve a guy like Cedric Benson, but also you know you know contributing to special teams in, in solid ways for for a six round pick. That's that's pretty solid. And we haven't really seen. That, that kind of production from that, that draft range from the Bengals of recent years. So it's kind of like a nice little tribute to to a solid player who never really got a lot of credit and obviously wasn't a long-term piece by any means. But for a six-round pick, that's that, that's what you expect, and and by default, it's pretty good value. Yep, not bad there. We've I guess, you know, I it's easy to do the Marvin Lewis era because, number one, it was so long. Number two, um, you know – that's when the team was kind of had a, a renaissance and was actually pretty, pretty competitive going through the nineties and whatnot. It's a little harder to do that. So I guess since we've been stuck in the Marvin Lewis era, I'll, I'll go back a bit and I'll, I'll just do the duo of Ken Riley and Lamar Parrish. Ken Riley picked round six, uh, Lamar Parrish round seven. Um, 
Lamar Parrish is a borderline Hall of Fame player, um, was electric as both a return man and a corner. Ken Riley is also a borderline Hall of Fame player, not as many Pro Bowls or accolades and all of that, but the longevity speaks for itself. Um, I, I didn't really want to go this route because, like I mentioned at the onset of this segment, the draft is a different animal right right now than yeah. it was then, far more rounds. But when you get to guys that sniffed the, the, the Hall of Fame in rounds six and seven, um, you're doing something right. Unfortunately, things kind of fell apart with Parrish and the Bengals towards towards the later years of his career. But um, two very, very good players and uh, did a lot of good things for the Bengals and incredible value for where they were selected. Um, I you really showed me up there. You got two borderline Hall of Famers, and I had Bernard Scott. Uh, well, yeah, Jason von Stein, <laughs> Jason von Stein, I think, was referencing the you know he's losing losing Whitworth, and you know Andrew Whitworth and himself had some value, but uh, had great value. But I mean, he's still you know second round pick, uh, so it's hard. It's hard to kind of say the absolute best value. I mean, obviously there there are great players. AJ Green, yeah, the value's there at number pick. For, in number four overall, but I mean, we're talking about guys who came in that weren't expected to do much, were maybe expected to be depth guys and, and did a lot of good things from there. So that's where we were going on this. This is the Orange and Black Insider Bengals podcast. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on Spotify, on the Megaphone platform, as well as on YouTube. And all of our content is on cincyjungle.com. So subscribe to our channels, leave us a rating, and uh, let us know what you think of the show. We will be taking some phone calls. Uh, we, we missed a couple earlier, so I apologize. We'll try and get the, to those, 949-542-6241. You can call in. Um you can also text us, 949-542-6241. We'll take those, um, and we'll try and get to uh, your call as well as some other questions that uh, we got on on our uh, in, the, in the multiple platforms. So uh, this was also from Ken, uh, who, who t- talked to us about BART. He wanted to do a little sidebar, and I, I thought this was interesting um, I hadn't heard too much of this rumor, but apparently uh, Ken has caught wind of this. And uh, whether it's true or not, or whether you know this, it, it could be a fun little hypothetical to think about. But um, a trade for Jameis Winston, Winston to the Bengals, um, and what you would think of that? Whether that would be, uh, you know a Winston for Dalton swap or uh, Dalton and then you get Winston and a draft pick or however that may, I mean, if, if the value aligns, I guess, in terms of trade value, what would you think about Winston and stripes? I probably would say thanks, but no thanks personally. Um, But I'd be interested. I mean, number one, former number one overall pick. Uh, He had one very good year. Uh, and then it's kind of been derailing since. So, um, your thoughts, John? Uh, you always have to love those trades where both sides are like, yeah, probably not. And I think yeah. I, I think I know where he got this from because it was either the Pewter Report or the Tampa Bay Bucks um, NFL Wire website, who on April first, which is a holiday, I guess, 
Um, they wrote an article saying, oh, there's a trade, Jameis Winston for Andy Dalton. And they were like, uh, April Fool's at the end of it. So okay. <laughs> I, Maybe saw that, got it, yeah. I saw that on Twitter. I'm like, wait, this has to be a joke. And, and, and it was. And I think they finished the joke saying, like, thankfully, Jameis Winston is still a Buccaneer and Andy Dalton is not. So there's obviously the thoughts of Buccaneers fans. So And honestly, like, in terms of just overall ability, I, I – I guess you could put both of them in the same, roughly the same tier, but they're so vastly different in terms of play style and, and types of quarterbacks. Uh, obviously, Winston is a lot less conservative of the ball and and the and the way he, he manages the pocket and has probably more objectively more arm talent than than Dolan, But obviously, the, the accuracy issues and the footwork and uh, amongst the other array of issues that comes with Winston being like seven or six years younger than Dolan come with it, and obviously Winston's got, I think, one year left on that rookie contract before he's going to be asking the Buccaneers for a lot of money if they decide to give him. So, like, in terms of just a straight swap, like, I don't really see the value for, for, for either side because the Buccaneers might think that they're downgrading to a quarterback that's plateaued when they're giving up on a guy who might have some, you know, uh, uh, some good years left in him because he's still relatively young. But – they're, the Buccaneers would, would pay less for Dalton than they would for Winston, so there's that side of it too. So this is just one of those things where this, there, there's just no real match on either side. This, there's just no real logic for either side to make the deal, I guess. And, and, and like and Winston itself, like I think he's fun to watch, and for at least the Bengals and how these next two years are going to go, like fun, honestly, is a high priority for me, and that's why I wouldn't be too opposed to drafting like a Tyree Jackson or, or Will Grier just to throw him out there at the Wolves and, and see what ends up. But like with Winston, you're going to have to pay him, and that's not the same as throwing in a, a younger quarterback on a rookie contract, and there's just a lot more financial implications for that. So so we've got a, we've got a call on the line, and it's uh, from a good friend we haven't heard from for a while. Uh, it's John from Kentucky. John, how are you, sir? How are you doing after? I don't think we've talked to you since all the free agency stuff. Uh, we'd love to hear your take on that, but also what's on your mind that uh, you want to ask us tonight. Well, uh, let me first of all say I've had a lot of stress in my life lately, a lot of responsibilities, some personal things going on. Uh, but I'm still a Bengals fan no matter what. And uh, I just needed to get a load off my chest. And I thought, you know, I need to call the Orange and Black Center. <laughs> I, I haven't even had a chance to even listen to tonight's podcast. However, I will say, I did see, I think it was last week or the weeks before, Anthony, you were disgusted. I could just tell you did not like that uh, signing of Bobby Hart for yeah. three years. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I was kind of baffled by that, too. But I did read somewhere on Cincy Jungle on the site that it's hard for Cincinnati to get free agents. In other words, good free agents just don't seem to be too interested in coming to Cincinnati for various reasons. So, but nevertheless, signing Bobby Hart like that, that would be the first thing we'll talk about. No, I agree with you. I didn't think that was a great move at all, but, uh, and, Releasing Bonte's perfect? Yeah, okay. Maybe there were some good reasons, but Bonte's perfect was the most physical linebacker I can remember on the Cincinnati Bengals team. You know, they needed somebody, a Ray Lewis type in Cincinnati, because we kept getting smacked around. And when perfect came, that culture kind of changed a little bit, at least when he was on the field. Oh, yeah. And now he's gone. And, uh, of course, I know you guys were talking about Andy Dalton here tonight earlier. I... 
I don't know. I, I think I would keep Dalton. I want look. I want to see Dalton under a different coach, and that's going to happen this season. And I think the Bengal management is probably thinking, you know, Bobby Hart may not be the best signing in the world, but what will he do under a different coach? I think that's what they're banking on here. They may not be looking so much as at players as they are a new coaching staff, and, you know, what can they do with what they have? I mean, what do you think? Well, uh, I, just to, to touch on your your first part of your comments here, it's going to be a very different looking team under Zach Taylor. You know, the Vontez perfect going away. But there are going to be some mainstays, veteran mainstays there uh, on the team. But perfect going away and, and, and going to the Raiders is, is definitely going to be a different look. For this team, um, his play declined. I, I think that's that that's uh, obvious. Uh, and you mentioned the, the issues of him staying on the field. Uh, that's that's an issue as well. I definitely want to get John's thoughts on this too. But um, you know, I, I my my thing is is they kind of rushed. Uh, here's here's the thing with the Bobby Hart thing for me. It, it was. Really expensive at first blush. Then it kind of was better than than we first thought in terms of guaranteed money and all of that. Then it became a deal where Troy Blackburn was ardently defending the move, and it, it, it's kind of become this deal that's like, what? Why? 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 I, it's very, very confusing. Um, and for Perfect, they didn't really seem, unless they're relying on the draft, they didn't really seem to have a contingency, an immediate contingency plan in place to replace him. That's a little worrisome, um, but I do think there there were some there was some merit for them getting rid of them. John Sharon, your thoughts to what John from Kentucky w- was saying? I just like there was a time when Perfect was on a path that resembled potentially having a Ray Lewis type career and overall impact on the field, and that was when he went to that Pro Bowl in 2013. Yeah. And, and earned that first contract, and ever since then, like say what you want about Ray Lewis, he was at the very at the very minimum a consistently dominating player. And obviously, he was surrounded by a lot a lot more complete defense in Baltimore. But he made that defense. And there was a time where you're thinking, okay, Burfitt can have that similar impact, but the, the dude could stay healthy. The dude was all, was off the field if not for injury, but for suspension. And you're thinking, okay, well, at least we have a player like that who can give us that type of persona that we've been missing for so long, but when it doesn't lead to positive impact and positive performance and positive production, it just becomes a nuisance. And when that is projected for a a time period of four or five years of just constant, when is he ever going to get back to the level? Maybe he's never going to get back to the level. It was be, it was beyond time for a perfect to go. And if you have to lose that, that perceived, you know, overall, enigma of, of a personality of a, of a defense if that has to be sacrificed if you're still holding on to that then that's that's worthy of, of letting go but w- w- with Bobby Hart it's just a, it, it's just a case of just them being over aggressive for a reason that they never had to be because I think wow. they just they just wanted to they just wanted a body there of a veteran so they didn't have to force themselves into the draft like they they did for Billy Price at the center position last year and with under that mindset, that kind of makes sense. But like that's just not how smart teams operate because any team would have valued Bobby Hart no more than what he was making last year based off how he played on the field. But the Bengals were so desperate to just 
quote unquote fill that position, even with a bad player, just get someone established there so they didn't have to worry about it, even though they still should probably worry about it because he's still a liability. And they're going to realize, you know, during the season when Bobby Hart gets consistently blown off the line of scrimmage against good competition, they're going to realize, hey, we have the same player here, but we're just paying him seven times more than what we usually did. So <laughs> that, like the like the the mindset in a vacuum makes sense, but the process just doesn't, and, and it's and, it, and it's inexcusable on their part. No matter how much BS uh, Troy Blackburn can try to shove down our throats. Yep. Hey, John. Uh, thanks for calling in, buddy. Uh, hope that stress level goes down. I feel you on that one. Stress level's been high for me as well. Hope that goes down. Hope you're dealing with everything all right, and uh, don't yeah. be. A- yeah, I, I'm, I'm doing my best, Anthony, you know, and uh, I will say uh, you were really disgusted over the Bobby Hart thing when I was watching that podcast a few weeks ago. I yeah. thought, man, Anthony's acting like John from Kentucky. He's really <laughs> disgusted here over this. I mean, really, yeah. you, it was like you just didn't, you didn't smile one time. You didn't have anything good to say. You were just pretty, you know, <laughs> let's hope Bobby Hart, I don't know, but we'll just keep our fingers crossed. Maybe something will work out. I don't know. But it, it, it wasn't the best move Cincinnati could have made for sure. Yep. But hey, I look at it like this. If you had told me, John, we're going to get rid of Bobby Hart, but we're keeping Marvin Lewis, no way. <laughs> With Bobby Hart, even though that's not good, and have Lewis and the rest of them gone like they are. I've nothing to complain about. All right. Okay? Thanks, buddy. Right. Take right. it easy. We'll We'll talk to you soon. That was John from Kentucky, good friend. Uh, we haven't talked to him for a little while. Uh, hope hope he is uh, doing okay. We've sorry we've had some other calls we've we've had to miss. Uh, I guess we'll get to this one. I think this is from this is from Nathan, who has uh, contacted the show before. Uh, uh, it's basically talking about the. Uh, Mahomes Haskins connection could Haskins have uh, you know some early success I want you to talk about that with some of the weapons that we talked about earlier or is his skill set not good for that specific uh, that specific group or is it too early yeah um, it is too early and Haskins and Mahomes could not be more non-comparable in terms of how they win and how they can succeed. Mahomes is like on the level of what Andrew Luck, the, how how big of a pedestal that Andrew Luck was placed upon back in 2012 when that was when like that that pocket passer, that guy that can maneuver the pocket and and you know survey the field and be that like field commander. That was the level that Luck was. But now like the prototype is Pat Mahomes, the guy who can create out of structure, the guy who can throw to all levels of the field and doesn't have to have that perfect pocket around him and he can create on his own and he can throw from all platforms. And that's just not what Haskins is good at right now. And maybe that's not what he'll ever be. He's always going to be that, I don't want to say statue, but just that limited maneuver of the pocket who needs to be able to keep his base when he throws, because when he, when he is given time, when he is given space in the pocket, he can make some throws all over the field, but like, Comparing Haskins' arm to Mahomes' arm is just unfair to anybody, Haskins or even Kyler Murray for that matter. Mahomes is just on a completely different level. But also, like Mahomes is given a year to sit behind Alex Smith, and I think that would be obviously good for Haskins, who, again, only has one year of starter is and he is really young. So I think that will definitely be good for him as well. But um, in terms of comparing those two, I think that's not really fair to Haskins, I guess. We've got another call on the line here. I believe this is uh... – Jason, who is also in our live YouTube chat. Is this Jason? Yeah, it is. Uh, 
How you doing? Uh, I'm doing all right, man. How you doing? Will you change your ringtone to Welcome to the Jungle? <laughs> I feel like that would be more appropriate. Yeah, instead of the, the, the ding-dong chime, huh? Yeah. Yeah. What's on your mind tonight? My question, uh, will the power of the Orange and Black Insider Podcast use its power to create a petition to get the Bengals to wear their 1980s throwback jerseys? I don't think I have the power myself, but maybe you guys can do it, and I will certainly sign up. You you might be overestimating the power of this podcast, my friend. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, I, you know, I, I, to, to be honest, and... Um, I, and I don't, Jason, I don't, you don't have to tell me. I don't know exactly how old you are in comparison to John and myself. For me, I caught, uh, when I was starting to get into football, was the early early days of the, the striped helmets and all of that. However, um, I would like to see a game where they they do that. Um, and and this, this, to me, is just a sign of uh, the team itself just not really embracing some of the things of the past. I don't want to go into a whole long deal, but that's why they don't have a ring of honor, all that kind of stuff. Personally, why not do it for a game? John, your thoughts? Um, yeah, our, our, I don't even think any Bengals podcast has that power or any podcast or anybody in general. Um, you might have more power than we do, Jason Monson. I have a nice letter to Mike Brown. Sure, you'll get something back. Maybe we could send a letter from, from the Bengals, from the Orange and Black Insider podcast to Mike Brown, bringing back these uniforms. It, it, I'm a proponent for changing uniforms, but honestly, after seeing the the, the leaked Jets ones, I'm kind of scared oh. what, what 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 Nike's going to come up with us. If they touch the helmet, I'm going to throw hands. Yeah, yeah, they did. I mean, and I, I think I think Jason, you're probably referring to the old block lettering bangles, the 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 real old school one, uh, I would assume. Or are you talking about still striped helmets, but the the kind of the stripes on the sleeve and uh, which what era are you talking about here? You're talking about Ken Anderson. I would prefer like the Ken Anderson, like the you know the boomer size, you know, kind of throwback from the '80s kind of look. Okay. It'd be good to see any sort of throwback. They should do one. I mean, it's they should. Like this year. Yeah. So if any year, I really remember the 75th anniversary of the NFL, which was what '94. Yep. And they really like. I mean, if you look at the Super Bowl tape, the 49ers are wearing their throwback jerseys that year. Yeah. Like they really like handed up. There was all sorts of cool uniforms going on. It really disappoints me that the Bengals like don't seem to have any sort of. They don't care about it. Like what's? I think I think it's easier to like manufacture like the the '70s uniforms because like on the '80s, like there's so many like stripes down there. It'd be like hard to like sell them, I guess. So I think if we're gonna see the Bengals with a retro, it'll be from the early like '70s days where it's just really simple. And I, I'd even take that honestly because any retro uniform is cool. In my yeah, book. but I mean, it's also the forward thinking by the by the team that would say. I mean. Do you remember? Do you remember when they came out? Gosh, what was that? Twenty sixteen with the twenty sixteen or twenty seventeen with the um, the the whiteout jerseys, the the color rush. Yeah, the well, yeah, the, or lack thereof. I mean, <laughs> I feel like I when I went to Cincinnati and saw, I, I, I mean, there are people that wear those things and they they do look cool, but it's it's kind of that forward thinking of well, yeah, I mean, this is this is not only honoring past players and just kind of a cool retro thing, but it's also, I mean, you could sell some of these current players jerseys in older styles or, or their shirts or what have you. I, I think people would embrace that. And uh, I, I just wish this team would, would be a little more forward thinking, especially when it comes to embracing their, their history and uh, their former players and everything. Jason, 
Thanks for calling in, buddy. We're going to wrap it up with you tonight. Uh, don't be a stranger, buddy. All right. I will not. Thank you guys for what you do. Be good. Uh, all right. Uh, that was Jason on the OBI line and a good way to wrap up. We had a lot of, a lot of questions, a lot of stuff tonight. Uh, it's late for you, my friend. I know. I, I blinked and it's, it's 10 o'clock. <laughs> I know. I know. We, uh, we, we got through a lot tonight. That is for sure. We got through a lot tonight and, uh, we hope that everybody enjoyed this program and what we talked, we, we got a little draft. We got some listener questions talking about how to fix the Bengals and how we're frustrated with them and all that good stuff. We talked about a lot. You can get this show on iTunes, on Stitcher, on Google Play, on Spotify, on the Megaphone platform, as well as YouTube. And it's all on CincyJungle.com. Any final thoughts before we get out of here, John? I know we've had a, a jam-packed show and we've gone on a little long. We say that every week. We say, we say that every week. Every week, we, well, we got, we got a lot, I, pro- I promise. I promise you all, we'll make this show more digestible. This is what the off season. This is what the off season is about. Yep. And uh, hey, I mean, people are calling us. I, you know, they want, they want to talk to us. So I it's mean, actually, it was, it's always the viewers' fault. It's never our fault. Right. Well, yeah, that's true. Yeah. It, I, I, yeah, it's all. It's all my fault. It's all my fault. <laughs> when you're when you're married, John, you'll know that it's all my fault. It's all my fault. <laughs> Um, well, thanks. Thanks, John. Appreciate you you coming on as always and looking forward to, uh, working, working up some mock drafts here coming up. I know, uh, people love those and, uh, every time of year. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> looking forward to some of that. And to our listeners, like I mentioned at the top of the show, keep it to our channel to hear not only our pick for the SB nation podcaster, writer, writer, uh, pick for the Cincinnati Bengals, but also the entire SB Nation mock, um, which includes their network of podcasters and and all of the picks for the first round. So it uh, should be fun. We've never really done that before. I don't think the network has done that before. Um, I think this all kind of coincides with the new branding of the podcast network. So um, we're excited about that. It should be a lot of fun. And we'll have our own mock drafts too before, before we're done. Uh, so we'll have to formulate those and, and get those to you. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. We'll see you next episode. And who day? <laughs>